Greetings, all you gore hounds out there in podcast land. This is cult film actor Jim O'Rear. And when I'm not busy working with George Romero, Chuck Norris, or Robert England, I'm listening to the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. <laughs> Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcast and mouthpiece of the Southeast, Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Happy 2019, everybody. We have a lot of great things in store for the coming year, but before we look into the future, I can't help but reflect on the past. 2018 was a better year for this show from all the people working behind the scenes to all the people listening out in front, to the multitudes of people lining up to get on the show, interviews and such, and the gentleman you heard at the top of this episode, special shout out to Mr. Jim O'Rear, who has a role in the film we're going to be tackling tonight, George A. Romero's 1985 zombie classic, Day of the Dead. So stay tuned, Uh, fucking Judd and I are going to be singing its praises in more ways than one. However, speaking of singing of praises, I have to sing the praises of somebody who just gave this podcast a huge seal of approval, uh, a gentleman by the name of Lee McCoy. If you do not know who Lee McCoy is, Lee McCoy runs a YouTube channel that is shot through the stratosphere over the past year. Uh, They have way more uh, subscribers than we do, and... It is not without its merit. Every one of those subscriptions has been earned because he produces quality content. If you like what we do here, you will love what he does there. So, I want you to drop everything. Go right now. YouTube. Drum Dums. Subscribe. Comment. Like. Click the little notification bell so you don't fall between the cracks. Plus, go to uh, Facebook, find him on there, give him a like, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, uh, Stardust app, at Drum Dums. All those things, you just add a slash in Drum Dums, you're going to find him. How this all came about, I am always looking for opportunities to promote the podcast. And, you know, I love his show. So I ring him up. When I say ring him up, I send him a message through Facebook. And I'm like, listen... I want to pay you to promote us. You know, shout us out on an episode and we'll give you some money. You know, a lot of YouTubers take ad revenue. So I'm thinking, this is going to be right up his alley. Well, Lee has integrity. And that's something that's probably lacking in a good deal of YouTubers. And I can't thank him enough for his response. He was like, no, I won't take your money. However, I will listen to your podcast, and if I enjoy it, I will give it a shout-out for free. My jaw hit the fucking floor. So, Lee, uh, I number one, thanks for liking our show. Second, thank you for promoting our show. And thirds, thirds, that's not a word. Thirdly, that's not a word either. Finally, <laughs> thank you for producing content that keeps me entertained on a daily basis. 
So everybody go find him. And when we come back, uh, fucking Judd Kelly and I will be tackling the movie I talked about earlier, the zombie classic Day of the Dead. But first, here's a few messages from our sponsors. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. He did the mash. They did the monster mash. It's such a mash. It was a graveyard smash. Something podcast. 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 Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our uh, Day of the Dead commentary track, sitting to my left, making his return to the Black Lodge after a, uh, well, not a too lengthy absence. Uh, Your last appearance was, what, um, two months ago? Two months ago, yeah. Back on the Ghoulies episode. Uh, Sitting to my left, the one and only Mr. Fucking Judd Kelly. Hey. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to uh, be watching this along with us, uh, pop in your DVD, LaserDisc, VHS, digital copy, whatever have you, of Day of the Dead from 1985. You're going to queue it up to the uh, start of the first scene. It's going to be Sarah sitting in a white room. So, if you want to watch along, by all means do so. It's always nice to have a visual aid with our running nonsensical commentary. But if you want to just listen along, uh, it's your life. You do whatever you want to do. We'll be here with you. We'll we're here with you till the end. All right. I'm going to count down from three. When I say hit play, you hit play. It's as simple as that. Three, two, one, play. Dawn of the Dead was released in July 21st, 1985. It had a budget of $3,500,000. Uh, its box office at the end uh, ended up just short of $6 million at uh, $500,804,262. Uh, some of the reason this movie was not as successful as it could have been was that it was released unrated. Now, Judd, in your lifetime, how many movies can you think that were released in theaters unrated? I can't think of any. Well, there's a good reason for that. There there have been next to none. Uh, in my lifetime, there's Day of the Dead, and then several years later, uh, you had the uh, sequel, uh, I can't talk, the sequel to Hatchet, released, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Adam Green. It was released unrated, and it was a big controversial deal. I mean, they they put a big promotional push behind it because it was a big deal that they hadn't done this in so long. Unrated movie. But uh, AMC theaters got really, really uh, trepidatious about it, and Mm. they pulled it from the theaters, and it's it's a whole big deal. Now, the reason you don't have unrated movies, aside from the MPAA, which is a big pile of horse shit to begin <laughs> with uh, is a lot of places will not let you advertise in like a periodical like newspapers magazines and I'm not talking about like Horror Hound or Fangoria yeah. I'm talking about mainstream magazines they won't allow you to promote something because in their mind I mean this is tantamount amount to like Just pornography s- snuff film yeah uh, um, this movie originally had the scope, it was going to be what George Romero stated as his Gone with the Wind of zombie movies. The Western Gone with the Wind? The Western Gone with the Wind? Uh, that's like, I mean, the Western movie Gone with the Wind? 
But with zombies, uh, all right. Uh, the, see it. Wait, 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 wait. The, what are you talking about? Go with the wind takes place in the West. I mean, it takes place in Georgia. Which is West Georgia, yeah. No, <laughs> Georgia is in the East. I don't, I don't think I've seen, the, I've seen the full Gone with the Wind then. I'm sorry. Okay, go. <laughs> I think you're really confused on what Gone a, with the Wind I must is. Be. Gone with the Wind is is uh, Rhett Butler, and he's got that classic line where, you Frankly, know, I don't give a damn. Yeah, yeah, Scarlett, I don't give a damn. I, I must have not. I must have not. I'll be confusing it with another movie. Clark, Clark Gable and his giant uh, Mickey Mouse ears. You know, his uh, his pedophile right. mustache. Definitely, definitely nothing. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe you need to. to I'm gonna seek watch out. it. I'm gonna watch Gone with the Wind right now, but with zombies. <laughs> so I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm good. Well, unfortunately, due to the conditions uh, of this movie being released unrated, uh, the people who were funding, you know, the, the backing it, uh, its budget had to be cut. And now I don't know this. 100%, but, I, but I've heard it estimated that it was originally going to be around uh, $6 million. Hmm. Uh, Like I said, it took in almost $6 million at the box office, uh, just short of that. Um, so, technically, this movie did turn a profit, but when you take into consideration all of the advertising costs and things like that, which was probably lower on this movie because they couldn't advertise it a lot of places, they just about broke even. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this movie at 82% with an audience score of 75%. Um, it's rated a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb. When this movie came out, it was not super well received. It's one that over time people have kind of come to embrace as being either as good as the other two or their all-out favorite. Yeah. Now, because you kind of hopped on the podcast last minute, um, you didn't have a chance to, to see this movie. And, you know, we we're kind of, he and I just, uh, he and I, being Judd, uh, we just ate at uh, A&W before we started recording. And we we're kind of talking about, you know, what this movie was about. And you had sort of misremembered some things. Uh, so you're couple, not sure if you've seen this movie. movies mixed up, yeah. So you're not entirely sure if you've seen this movie or not. No, I'm not sure at all. I've seen a, a lot of zombie movies, but I'm, I'm not seeing a, a lot of familiar, all right, familiar well, things right now. At, at some points, I'll be uh, probably asking you, like, your, you know, what do you think about that? How's this movie? I'm down you, for that. You, you yeah. liking this? You fresh, like it when, fresh you like perspective. It when, you like it when that, the zombie that gets uh, eaten or eats somebody? This zombie right here is one of the most legendary zombies uh, ever laid to celluloid. Um, he was codenamed Dr. Tongue because of his <laughs> giant tongues uh, slumping out of he has no jaw. That uh, zombie has been immortalized as is Bub, who you'll see later on in the film, mm. in uh, in Mask by Trick or Treat Studios. Uh, they're a mass productioning. Uh, they make masks. They make masks, but they license a lot of things from The Walking Dead, this movie, uh, they have the, the rights to Halloween uh, 4. By, by the way, just that a, alligator you just saw, the uh, the mouth was taped up on it because really. they didn't want the the alligator eating the zombies. Yeah, actor. <laughs> Why put an alligator? It's like, you don't need an alligator. There's zombies walking around. This scene right here, uh, you know, the uh, sort of abandoned looking hellscape of a city that was filmed in Fort Myers, Florida. All right. Uh, later on, they're going to go to a compound, uh, and that's in Bowman's Beach Helistop in Sanibel, Florida. Uh, it's kind of like a, like I think it's like a helicopter rental place. 
and it's a lot of they, space, not a lot of people. Well, yeah, they just they used it for the aesthetic and all the underground scenes, which a good majority of the movie is going to take place. That was filmed in Wampum, Pennsylvania. That's not much of a stretch to understand why George Merrow, being from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. they, a lot of his movies were shot in Pittsburgh and the surrounding areas. Yeah. So when you see all these palm trees, uh, it's pretty evident they're not in. Pennsylvania. Uh, This movie, like I said before, was directed by George Romero. Uh, He unfortunately passed away uh, July 16th of 2017. One of the great auteurs of this genre. The godfather of of zombie movies. Well, as far as modern zombie movies go, I mean, he, he created it. So much so that when they made Night of the Living Dead in... I guess it was shot in '67 and released in '68. They didn't even—they weren't even referred to as zombies. Uh, he referred to them as ghouls, which is like an old Universal Pictures idea of like a flesh-eating uh, cemetery creature. Yeah. From when there it's just—it's just branched out to, to all these different different types of zombie movies, different types of zombies. Well, I think every every zombie movie has something to owe to, to Night of the Living Dead, and as far as uh, special effects go, even though like they've they've casually like upped from each one, you know they they're pretty minimal in, in Night of the Living Dead. And I love Dawn of the Dead, but the makeup in that movie <laughs> it, it has its moments, but uh, they're really they you could, the budget was very evident. Like okay, let's just paint this dude <laughs> like a bluish a bluish gray and call it a day. This movie they they went entirely balls the wall and if this movie were nothing but just a special effects extravaganza i think it would be still well known yeah but i have to say uh when i was preparing to do this podcast which those of you who've listened to the podcast for any length of time know we were supposed to do this episode much sooner than we ended up doing it but uh because of schedule conflicts we're doing it here in january all the better, because I've had more time to put effort into this than I would have normally. But I had this sort of knot in my stomach about watching it. And it wasn't that I dislike this movie or this movie is bad, but this movie has such a downer tone that I just, I didn't want it to like, to put me in a bad mood. <laughs> so I kept putting it off and putting it off. The, yeah. the other day at work, which, you know, this time of year, we're recording this in December, uh, for January, but we're like right before Christmas and it's kind of slow. So I take my laptop with me and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll watch it at work. I'm already depressed. So this will, this will put, push might me over well, the might edge. Might as well be paid to be depressed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I was so engaged by this movie. Like I'll, I'll do this at work a lot, especially when it's slow. It's just every five minutes, me looking at the clock me, you know, and like, God, time it. And I, this movie flew by so fast, but it, it hit me really hard. The, the generality of this movie is that there is a perimeter and you have your military, you have your scientists and you have your civilians kind of all entangled in this situation where they don't want these outsiders to come in. And what's going on right now? Build that wall. <laughs> so, 
this movie's about immigration. Well, I, I mean, I think you can look into it in, in that terms. I, and I'm going to use a music analogy here. I'm a, right. I'm a huge Ronnie James Dio fan. He's, he was my favorite, you know, rock singer, um, next to Glenn Hughes of, you know, Deep Purple and other, other great bands. But, He's my all-time favorite lyricist, and he had a way of using metaphor and um, writing about things where he's telling a story, but he's left it open enough to where you can sort of personify yourself onto those lyrics. Now, my long-winded explanation is, like, when I watched this movie, I was able to apply it to a lot of things that are happening and yeah. hand happened in the world. These... Characters, I think they're they're all kind of archetypes for different types of personalities. Now, I guess maybe you could use the you could call them stereotypes mm. and use that as a negative. But to me, I I saw this as sort of like a reflection of the types of people that are going to be you know either idle or vocal in. Any given scenario, everybody plays a part. Everybody plays a part, and you get to see. I, I'm going to make an analogy right here. Um, I, I stayed up late last night, and this was kind of like bouncing around in my head. <laughs> you have, you have your scientist, you have your civilians, and then you have your military. It's sort of like an Oreo cookie. You have your c- civilians in the middle. They're, you know, they're the cream filling. They're what you want to get to. That's the good part. All right. And then you've got those two chocolate cookies on the outside, which, I mean, on their own, they're okay, but, you know, you want them all together. Um, this analogy is going off the fucking rails because I'm getting hungry for cookies. <laughs> the the military, they their viewpoint is that we have to kill these things so we can survive. The viewpoint of... The scientist is that we have to domesticate these things to survive. The people in the middle understand that you the regardless of them being undead, there are traces of humanity left in them, as evident later on by Bub. Mm-hmm. But they're also smart enough to realize that these things are going to kill us if we don't. Kill them first. Kill them. You know, if, pr- if we don't protect ourselves, right? I mean, instincts are always left. But you have these two. You have these two polar opposites. Um, they both want, I guess, in, in the same things. They both want to be safe, but uh, they're both amoral about it. And you have that middling moral compass of the civilians of knowing that, like, it's things aren't always black and white. I know an Oreo is, but that's, that's, that's just the point. It's just, it's just a an big Oreo commercial, just, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Send us some Oreos. Restaurant of Black Lodge Podcast loves Oreos. More of a Chips Ahoy guy, actually, but Oreos are good, Those too. Those fighting words right there. Oh, you why you prefer Oreos? <laughs> no, but Oreo, they're never going to send you free Oreos oh. if you like Chips Ahoy. Oh, well, they're never going to hear this. And if they do, <laughs> fuck Oreos. It's Milk's favorite cookie right there. <laughs> is, that, that is their uh, their slogan. Can't take that? milk? That's not fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're, we're on a tangent that's, already. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, a good little side tangent is always, always welcome on this podcast. The point I, I'm trying to make, long-winded as it may be, is when I when I reflected on this movie, it, it, it really grabbed me in how... 
simple the story is, but how reflective two sides of a coin can be. Yeah. Like, both people think they're right, and 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 they'll use their moral moral justification uh, sometimes to to a negative end, mm-hmm. and that's what I really took away from this movie. But let's talk a little bit about these these characters individually um, playing the role of Sarah. We have Lori Cardell. I mean, you see her with her mining hat on right here. Uh, she she doesn't have a, a ton of acting credits, mm. which is sad because after watching this movie, I I didn't understand like how she did not have a longer career. She's so believable in this movie. Like her her fear is genuine. There, uh, she she's in a relationship with uh, Salazar, the uh, one of the. Well, there he is with the Cuban, the Cuban looking gentleman. gentleman yes, and there's a part later on where and he he's he's full on like suffering from PTSD. Like yeah. he he's got it. He's seen he, some things. He's seen some shit that'll turn you white. Ghostbusters reference. <laughs> um, but he uh, he slaps her, and and of course, I mean, like she's really emotional about this, but she forgives him because she knows like he's. The, the state he's in is just like he he's almost been demoralized by the situation he's been put in. So her portrayal of it, I was just so taken back. Um, she kind of reminded me of Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Mm. And what I mean by that is she's vulnerable without being weak. She finds her she finds herself in a situation that presented itself to her. Well, yeah. I mean, she I, didn't go looking for problems. Problems found her, but she's strong enough <laughs> true to dad, them. True dad. <laughs> I think, but it's a, I think it's a fine line in movies for, to write a strong female character because, because sometimes when people write that, it comes off as just, well, I'm a bitch. Yeah. That's, that's how they know to write a, a strong female character. And I, I, I've always been a fan of how Carpenter, uh, uh, would write female characters in that they were he I know there are no female characters in the thing, but all of the characters in that movie and, and Ridley Scott's Alien, they were all written as non gendered. Um that way when it was cast, if a man was right for the part or a woman was right for the That's part. Smart. It, yeah. So I don't know or it if, finds its actor. Yeah, I and I don't know necessarily that that's the case with this movie, but her character is not written in a like I'm I'm the damsel in distress I'm the you know mm-hmm. I have to be saved she plays her part so you sympathetically but she's not weak and mm-hmm. that's just not an easy thing to write or at least it's something that's not generally written <laughs> written in movies um, are you familiar with, uh, who did the special effects in this movie, Mr. Tom Kelly? Savini. Tom Savini. The Working. great, great Tom Savini. Um, I could go on all day long, uh, of his accomplishments, uh, from, you know, Friday the 13th and Dawn of the Dead, but I, I think this is his swan song. Legend in the, legend in the, the special effects departments. I mean, he's, he's retired now. He, he has a, he is has this a, his last movie? 
That he did no, 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 no. He he did he did a few after this. Is this. His giant. But this, go all out one more time. This is his. I mean, as far as zombie movies go, I don't know that there's anything that touches the special effects in this movie. This is his magnum opus. This is his magnum opus. <laughs> yes. Um, Tom Savini did special effects. I'm just gonna run through these really quick. Uh, Alone in the Dark, and that's the movie from the early '80s with Dwight Schultz. Not the not the mm-hmm. terrible uh, movie with. Uh, I think it was Uwe Bowl made. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, super unrated. Uh, super underrated. Also super unrated, <laughs> if you watch the right version. Uh, Invasion USA with Chuck fucking Norris. Maniac, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, uh, and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. The Burning, the Prowler, and personal favorite, uh, Creep Show. He won uh, the uh, Saturn Award for Best Makeup Effects in this movie. And... I think it was well-deserved. I, I can't really think off the top of my head what else came out in 85. Maybe Reanimator and one or two other other things. But I, th- this movie stands heads and tails above anything else that came out around that time. Mm. Um, he's also been had a, quite the career as an actor. It's kind of a shame that he's not in this movie because he has a cameo in Dawn of the Dead. Uh, but he played in... Uh, Dawn of the Dead, which I just mentioned, uh, Maniac, Creepshow 1 and 2, Innocent Blood, he was... He was in From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes, He's as Sex Machine. Sex Machine. Sex Machine. <laughs> Planet Terror, uh, Machete, um, and more recently, Django Unchained. Um, what's everybody's fascination with Sex Machine? <laughs> the name itself just carries over. It's that mustache, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's always got to be the facial hair. He does. He does have a, uh, he's got a, a pretty very, nice goatee. Yeah, he's he's got a it's very uh, u- universally loved when look. You, when you see him, you know who he is. Yeah, yeah, you're you're not gonna mistake him for somebody else unless you see uh, Tasso Stravakis, who also worked on this movie. They're uh, collaborators. He's a Greek Greek fellow, and uh, they they look very similar. <laughs> so. Uh, if you uh, if you see a guy and you're like, "Hey, are you Thomas Savini?" and he's like, "No," but you're sure he is, it's probably Tasso Savakis. <laughs> Good to know. Um, Howard Berger and uh, Greg Nicotero of K and B Effects. They this is one of their early films. This is before K and B were actually formed. But you'll see, uh, I like to see Greg Nicotero. He plays a really really small role in this film. He actually may be sitting here at the table. You just don't know his he plays. He plays Johnson. I need to go to a reverse shot, I can tell you. But he, he was super young. No, I don't think he's in this shot. He's probably this, later on. This is the start of his, when he started out? Or this is, how far along in his career was he during this movie? When he was acting? Well, I mean, like, the only reason he's even acting in this movie is just because... Filler? Yeah, because they ah. needed, you know... It was just like, hey, you're on the crew... Like, we'll put you in a scene, you know, it's cheaper to, to do we're, already, we're already paying you for one thing, let's, let's double up. That's fair. Makes sense. But yeah, he's a, he's, he's a fresh-faced pup. He's a commando. He's a soldier. He's ready to fight. <laughs> so, um, Joe Pilato here, who playing Rhodes, uh, another really strong performance, well, I would say that. Uh, a lot of people argue that his performance is a little hammy, a little over the top. And maybe if he, if he played it a little more subtly, that whole thing I was saying about the flip side of the coin, mm-hmm. 
would probably be a little more evident, but he he's definitely painted himself into the full on of the role of the villain that you you can't help but like just want to see this motherfucker get tore apart. Spoiler alert, he does. <laughs> but he he's had a, a fairly decent uh, career outside of this film. He he was in Gung Ho uh, with uh, Michael Keaton, really good movie. Mm. Uh, he was in Dawn of the Dead, Knight Riders, small roles. Uh, he was in Wishmaster, and uh, I'll I'll bring this point up again just because uh, when I met Andrew Devoff, he was a dick to me. Fuck you, Andrew Devoff, <laughs> asshole. Is one of the few people I've met uh, in the horror world that was a straight up dick to me. So fuck you, Andrew Devoff. Uh, he was in Digimon the movie and in the series. Were you a Digimon fan growing no, up? No, I was not a Digimon fan growing up. You were a Pokemon I fan? I like Pokemon, though, yeah. I What's like the, Pokemon. Well, educate me. What the fuck is the difference? Because right, I'm so an old fart. I don't know I don't uh, know what the Pokemon's and Digimon... From, from what I could tell, Digimon are digital monsters. Uh, they come from technology or some, some shit like that. And then uh, Pokemon are, are just like... It's like you go outside and you catch a squirrel and then you battle your squirrel with somebody else's like, dragon. Alright, well, how so, how is how is that not... Um, animal cruelty, having your animals fight each other. Why is it? Why is it illegal? Is, why is cockfighting illegal? But it's it's legal to fight your your adorable monsters against one another because they have special abilities to fight. I have no idea. I never got into that. I was a child. I just liked watching it. It was colorful and, okay, and friendly. Well, I, I quit rooting I, my childhood. I don't know. I, I a lot of my friends. Yeah. Are Pokemon fans, and I and I've asked this question to all of them, and no one can explain to me. Why? <laughs> Why do you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Okay, well, because there is there is a purpose because they're fighting in opposition. They're they're trying to stop evil. Pokemon, why do I have to catch them all? Why do I have to fight them against each other? Answer the goddamn question, Judd. I would have to make a couple calls. I don't know. Well, fucking phone a, fucking phone a friend and get back to me on this because I don't understand Pokemon. <laughs> You got me. I have no idea. Like I said, it's just a childhood thing. Leave me alone. Well, if it's a, if it's just a childhood thing, I can let that slide. But why are there so many adults playing Pokemon? I don't know. It's just one of those things. Everybody's doing it nowadays. Everybody's like, doing it. Well, I see. Is it like, is it like, like the fact, marijuana like, of cartoons? Like, you show up. Oh, all the kids are doing this at all. Play. I don't know what that is, but I'm gonna catch it. And it's I don't catch them all. It's gotten out of it's gotten out of hand, but. The true fans will... I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm not hating on it. I just don't no, no, understand, I understand it. I, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I've never been asked that before. I don't know. When don't you know. find out I'll let you why know. I have to catch them all, <laughs> fucking let me know. Because it's a great tagline that sells oh. merchandise. That's why. Okay, well, that's maybe the most uh, <laughs> honest answer anybody has given me in this. Um, playing, uh, we have here on on screen when it cuts back to the reverse shot. <laughs> Motherfucker. Stop talking. Get, get off fucking Lori Cardiel so I can... We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Just the Two of Us. It is your broadcast host, Mr. Zach. So I want you to relax. Put your feet up. Grab your glass of wine and a snack. Because you are tuning into my broadcast. See you later. She's mad. We get it. She's wearing a flannel shirt. (laughs) 
some reason she has makeup well, on. Fuck it. While, while it's uh, while it's showing her, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a point. Um, she uh she was in Ryan's Hope, uh, the Equalizer, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, and I and I made this note because this is the weirdest collection of actors in a movie. She was in a movie called Dead or Alive: The Race for Gus France or Farkas or Fra- oh, my camera my notes are. <laughs> It is not important. Um, but this movie has Tony Danza, mm. Ted oh. Levine, who was Buffalo Bill yeah. in Silence of the Lambs, and Mons. Samuel L. Jackson. How do you, how do those people end up in the same movie together? This guy was telling a joke like, dude, if we made a movie, who would we pick? He just picked these random actors and he said, let's make it happen. Were they in a hat and like, yeah, <laughs> well, Ted out. Levine and Samuel L. Jackson, let's make this fucking movie. It's <laughs> about right. Uh, she... She was sort of predestined to be in uh, this movie, or like in a, a, a Romero zombie movie. Her father, Bill Cardell, was the reporter in Night of the Living Dead, All the right. original from 68. And uh, her daughter has gone on to have a somewhat successful acting career. Her name is Kate Rogel. The, uh, uh, the flip side to Rhodes, his polar opposite, but also uh, probably just as dangerous... Um, we have, uh, my notes here, we have uh, Richard Liberty oh. playing the role of Logan, who uh, they call Frankenstein because of his experimentations on all of these zombies, and he's going to put that one to sleep, yep, right in the brain. Um, he unfortunately passed away at the age of 68 on October 2nd of 2000, when I was a kid, and I had this movie on VHS, mm-hmm. I had convinced myself that he was George Romero. Because <laughs> I had seen, uh, God, I can't remember what the, it was like the, it was a, a horror anthology thing hosted by Stephen King. Uh, it was like the history of horror kind of thing on yeah. A&E. And they had this segment with George Romero. And I just remember George Romero being this old, dumpy dude with gigantic glasses. thick glasses and I had convinced myself that Frankenstein was George Romero and once I found it it wasn't I was really kind of heartbroken about that I but, always thought that uh, and Shaun of the Dead Edgar Wright that, that uh, Nick Frost was Edgar Wright his name was Ed so I'm thinking okay this guy's the director and he's acting he can do anything and then I didn't come find out he wasn't and I was sad but I was alright with it because you know it is what it is I we had a good conversation about Shaun of the Dead. Where, where do you think Shaun of the Dead stacks up against the the greatest of all of zo- know, zombie, zombie movie? movies? I mean, it's more of a comedy. Yeah, but it's still it's still a it's great still a zombie, zombie movie. movie. I mean, there's different types of zombies. There's the slow ones. There's the you know the rage zombies. There's the the, the decrepit slow walkers. There's you know ones that only eat brains. Ones that only eat flesh. And uh, there's Greg Nicotero. Um, yeah. The, yes. From it, I think I think it holds its own. It doesn't really go in depth into what's going on, but you, you kind of know what a zombie movie is and and what's going. That you know you know they're dangerous and to stay away from them and and all that. You don't have to have to get into a lot of stuff with it. It's very simple to watch if you've never seen a zombie movie before well, and you want a quick laugh. I I think z- zombie movies are uh, they're they're continually made because it is an easy premise to tell. The dead rise from the grave. They want to eat your flesh or. Hit them in the head. Your brains, you know, yeah. Put them, in, yeah, put a bullet in their head, remove the head from their body, and go on with your. Remove the head or destroy the brain. But, uh... I, I think that there wouldn't be 
most zombie movies without the Romero the Romero zombie movies because uh, you you said you know there's there's the rage movies and the slow moving zombies well those are Romero zombies mm-hmm. and your next evolution from that was uh, the night uh, twenty eight days later the, well well the, no uh, Return of the Living Dead because yeah. that's the genesis of where zombies eat brains come from yeah because that's never brought up in the Romero zombie films yeah they they just they eat, they they eat, eat flesh yeah they eat flesh. But the whole brains, we need brains. That comes from Return of the Living Dead, which is also a terrific movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an interesting story in that. Uh, John Russo, who co, I guess he co-produced and maybe wrote Night of the Living Dead with Romero. Um, that movie came out. They didn't copyright it, mm-hmm. um, so it's fell into public domain, which is great because now everybody can exploit the fuck out of it for their own <laughs> for their own gain. But um, when uh, splitting their rights, they, they came up with the idea of like, okay, Romero, you'll own Of the Dead, and Russo will own Of the Living Dead. So, Return of the Living Dead is a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, but in the terms of, well, you, you know that movie Night of the Living Dead? Well, here's a story about what happened after it if they made a movie about something that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> so it's its own side series. And Dawn of the Dead has its own side series too. It's called uh, Zombie Zombie Two, um, because in Europe, uh, Dawn of the Dead is just called Zombie. So when you're referring to Zombie, it's actually Zombie Two, and there is no Zombie Two because then it, the sequel is Zombie Three. It's all fucking confusing, <laughs> just all over the place. Uh, let's get back on track. Uh, the character of Steel. He's one of my one of my. Personal favorites, um, played by How- uh, Gary Howard Clark. He uh, he was an Olympic weightlifter. I mean, this dude was one of like the strongest men on the planet at one point, and uh, he's he's had a pretty interesting connection to uh, to the acting world um, as, <laughs> as well. What else are you supposed to do once you once you get that swole? You got to start acting. Or... Well, I mean, I he's will you work out more? Like. I... <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I, I guess you either keep keep weightlifting or you uh, you find other means of revenue. You become Arnold Schwarzenegger. You well, just coast he, on the last thirty years of what you did. He swole was. He uh, he actually has uh, quite a decent filmography. Yeah. Um, well, he's also in some stinkers too. He was in Steel with Shaq. <laughs> Terrible fucking movie. But he was in some good movies. He was in Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd, so there's one direct connection to Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, he was in Three Men and a Baby, which is a really good mm-hmm. movie. Uh, Big with Tom Hanks. Pink Cadillac with Clint Eastwood. Quick Change with Bill Murray, so there's another direct connection to uh, to Ghostbusters. Hackers and uh, Cadillac Man with uh, Robin Williams. It's uh, pretty cool. A vast, from... a vast amount of, of work. Yeah, I mean, like when you look at it, like the people he got to... I don't know how many of these people he was actually on screen with, but he got to be in the same movie with X, Y, and Z of some of the the more popular actors of all time. So that's pretty cool. Uh, He he wanted his his character is a straight up asshole. Now he's a soldier. He's he's doing what he's told, but all the soldiers are kind of pent up, and you can tell they have just this aggression they want to get out. But when it came time to do his death scene, which we'll see later on in the movie, he wanted his 
his character to have a little bit of a sort of redemption. Like there's something more to him. So he came up with the idea of his character having a a cross necklace, like a because he was a Catholic. Yeah. So when he's getting killed, like he he reaches into his shirt and he pulls it and holds his holds his crucifix. It's a little it's a little detail, but I I like that it's sort of the commentary that like even good people can do bad things. Yeah, bad and, people can do bad and things and become it, good people. Yeah, yeah, I mean like there it's there's it's a big redemption story. Yeah. I mean, he, I think he, when he's fearing, he's like, well, I'm going to die. Jesus, take me into your loving bosom as, as I ascend to heaven, eaten by zombies. There's, there's, there's better ways to go out, I guess, but if you well, to go out, that's a, that's a noble way, eaten one, by zombies. One of the uh, interesting plot points, it's never really fully explored in Dawn of the Dead. It's basically just a throwaway line, but the... Ken Faree's character says, "When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth." Mm. The impl- implication being is like this is the end of times, you know, the biblical end of times. Yeah. Um, where do you where do you stand in in this? Like, is the existence of zombies in in film mm. is that? A reflection of a the, the Christian thing. idea of of hell and the dead revi- rising from the earth is is there a biological reason they're not dying? I mean, they're not staying dead. Like, what's your take on that? I mean, every story has its own has own basis. Some of them, I guess, you could you could say are, are religious. You know, some are some are the physical, but it just depends on the undertones of the movie. Well, just... and even though like Night of the Living Dead. Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead are supposed to be in continuity with each other. They're each separate stories. I never really touch on, on any of that. Well, it's just there. In Night of the Living Dead, it's never expressly stated, but the reason the dead are, are returning from the grave is because a satellite has crashed. Hmm. And I guess the radioactivity somehow has reanimated them. Hmm. Um, but... In Dawn of the Dead, they make the point to say, "Well, it's religious." It well, they but that's his viewpoint. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily explore that, but I think that's an interesting point of debate, if nothing else. Uh, especially considering, like, you have these different types. Now, you're the scientists, more than likely, probably not God fearing. Probably, you know. All hell, the mighty Adam. You know mm-hmm. they're not Ad, not Adam as in Adam and Eve, but yeah. Adam A T O M. So I, I I like movies that sort of ask questions, even if they don't answer them. I, I mean, I'm a huge David Lynch fan, and he's never answered a question ever. It's nothing but mystery. So having these sort of philosophical things thrown in with in between your blood and guts to me only strengthens the rewatchability of a movie like this. I mean, they touched on it in the Ghostbusters. They were, they were discussing why these ghosts were, you know, attacking the city and all this. And so, Ray, you do know, you believe in God? I saw, Never yeah, met I saw, him. It, it, comes, it comes down to, you know, there, there's got to be a reason for everything happening. I like Jesus' style. <laughs> what's the, what's the, why is this happening? Everybody's looking for a reason why instead of, gives them something to hope for. So they can figure out if there's a problem, they can solve it. Well, so. the, 
by this point in the the Living Dead timeline, the whole world has gone to complete shit. Yeah. There's these resistance cells, basically, of like we're the major cities have sort of become like wastelands, and then there are these little outposts of like people held up. Mm. And in Dawn of the Dead, it was still like a manageable thing. And even though like uh, this movie is sort of an isolated scope, aside from the very beginning where you see them uh, flying around the helicopter, the implication being is that everywhere else is just as bad. The, there's nothing but... There's nowhere to go. Well, humanity... The, humanity is not top of the food chain anymore. Yeah. And to me, that only brings up other other the, questions. The fight of like, for existence. Well, if we, as humanity, if we were presented by a new dominant species, mm. how would we reflect on how we treat other species? Say aliens came to Earth and we were well, like... Well, not necessarily. No I'm just saying, like, say say that, like, uh, there's a new evolution of human. Mm-hmm. Like, mutant. Right. You know what I mean? And, like, suddenly, we are to them what like, cows are to us. Now, listen, I, I am an unabashed meat eater. And I'm not going to be those people that's going to get all butthurt because you, you eat bacon. Eat all the fucking bacon you want. You earned that shit. But if you were presented with a situation where... You are the bacon. Yeah. How would you reflect on your eating habits? I mean, if pigs started attacking us or trying to like revolt against us, I don't know what I would do. But all in all, it's it's fight for survival, especially in a zombie movie. You either you kill or be killed. And when it comes to that, yeah. I mean, but my my but look look at it in terms of. We, because we are the alpha species on the planet, Mm -hmm. we have this, like, ingrained entitlement that our survival is more important than everybody everybody else's. To be put in the exact same situation, but the flip side, it makes you reflect on things. And that's one of the aspects of this movie, when I was watching it the other day, that really stood out, more so than it had in the past, like I said, uh, Rhodes and um, and Doctor Logan, mm-hmm. they they both want the same things. They just they want different different paths, different paths. They they want they ultimately they want to be safe. It's different paths to redemption. One one is we want to kill everything because we are the dominant species, mm. but they're not. The dominant species now is the Walking Dead. Doctor yeah. Logan wants to survive by domestication, but at the same time, he's doing these really inhumane uh, experiments on these dead bodies in terms of trying to learn how to domesticate these things that are, by all accounts now, our superior. Hmm. The ethical jumbling of algebra you have to do to really quantify all this is astronomical. So... Everybody is right and everybody is wrong. Mm-hmm. I like this because it's more reflective of how reality is than like this person's bad, this person's good, and good conquers evil. Um, the middle survives, and if that isn't a 
analogy for how our country is right now, like the middle, <laughs> strive for the middle because that's the only c- common ground we all have. Like when you stray to the right, so far to the right or to the left, it like you, you pick a side. Yeah, like yeah, I pick see, I see pick that. humanity, and, and I'm gonna get a whole uh, diatribe about politics and stuff. But it's inherent in in Romero's work. Uh, uh, society and, and politics uh, are sort of intertwined in everyday living. Whether you he wants you to side with with both sides, but well, then in he, yourself, you're, he's he's making you empathize with their reasoning, but ultimately he gives you these point of reference characters who ultimately are the ones who survive because they knew when to be aggressive and and mm. and when to be, you know, more. Soft, soft. That's not the, that's not the word I'm looking for, but <laughs> but, I, but sure. The Ritz. This uh, <laughs> this gentleman right here, who is a dead fucking ringer for Mr. Bean, is he not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You will never be able to see this movie ever again without that coming to mind. Honestly, I thought this was like a drugged up Tom Skerritt when I, when he first showed up. Dude, Tom Skerritt is. No, like I mean, Tom Scar- if, if Tom, Tom Scarrett did, did meth for like yeah, five or, years straight and then like showed up, yes. If, Tom, <laughs> if he were totally methed out, maybe just maybe he would get to this uh, this point. But no, Mr. Bean was what what jumped out at me. I even made like a a big, big uh, star against that when I wrote my notes. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna butcher this guy's name. It's Jarleth Conroy. Um. He plays McDermott. He's he's sort of like the token alcoholic. That's how he deals with the problems. Like you know, the world's going to shit. Well, I'm going to drink, drink, drink. zombies, drink. <laughs> Power went out. That's drink. Truthfully, uh, that's probably how I would deal with it. Because if I'm going to get killed, I want to. I want to I be a little eating chips ahoy. You're like man, zombies are here. Well, chips ahoy. Yeah, chips ahoy. I love you. Send me some cookies. Uh, Jack Daniels, big fan <laughs> of your product as well. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Jack Daniels and cookies. They're gonna make a cookie flavored Jack, and you're gonna be all on it. There's, there's got to be like a, like a chocolate, a chocolate, <laughs> chocolate chip uh, oh. liqueur of some kind out there. I, I'm sure there's got to be a Bailey's. There's uh, a chocolate beer, but it sounds disgusting. Yeah, I'm not a not a big. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, Jarleth Conroy. Uh, he was in Heaven's Jarleth. Gate. Uh, directed by Michael Cimino. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest bombs of all time. It's also heralded in its unrated cut uh, as one of the best movies ever made. Michael Cimino also did uh, The Deer Hunter. You ever seen The Rob Deer Hunter? Hunter? That's yeah. that's a great movie. It's one of those like good script movies. Like there's not a lot going on, but there's a lot of good conversation. It's but okay, that whole first like third of that movie is nothing but like. Let's make you love these characters. Now let's throw them into Vietnam, yeah. and when shit goes bad, you feel for them. And then your third act is like, how do we pull our lives back together? Um, but he he was in he was in that great movie. He was also in Kenzie, uh, which is uh, the movie uh, about the, the sex therapist. Never seen it. Never oh, heard of What's it his name? Um, the guy from Taken, Liam Neeson. Oh. Liam Neeson's in it. Uh, John oh. Lithgow. It's a really, really good movie. Uh, he also played uh, Aiden O'Malley in GTA Four. 
Right. So, so he's, he's, he's video still, games. Still, still working. He was in the True Grit remake. Um, really, really good movie. Uh, the uh, gentleman uh, here, our other moral center, is uh, Terry Alexander. He plays John. His accent is one hundred percent fake. <laughs> And you couldn't tell that. I no, I did realize that that, and I did research to, to to confirm it because I'm like, man, he sounds just like how um, uh, Kofi Kingston used to sound when when he first debuted in the <laughs> WWE. Jamaican, it's like, hey man, I'm going down by the beach. Like, come on, <laughs> dude, you are you are making that shit up. But you know their their whole exit strategy is to get to the beach, so they needed his his soulful Caribbean ways to kind of you know paint the picture. Control the ocean, like what? <laughs> yeah, he he had a he had a few point a uh, few. Uh, Why is it in all these movies? That's their goal is to get to water, like Dawn of the Dead. Their goal is to get to the boat so they can you know. I guess the same point, but that's oh, yeah, the right, basis that's of, the that, Dawn of the Dead remake. I was oh, the re- sorry, yeah, the remake. But that's Directed the, by Zack Snyder, who who that is one of two decent movies he's made. Everything else has been complete bullshit. <laughs> it's not that they wanted to get to water; they wanted to get to an island so there the, nothing could get to them. Yeah, I mean that's that's the smartest strategy. Idea. Yeah, continuing uh, continuing thought. Hey, let's get to an island. Yeah, I mean, but, listen, I'm not a fan of water. I fucking hate water. When I was 13, I went to. I went to camp and I got stuck on a, a raft and then the raft left me. So I got <laughs> stuck on a rock and it started raining and I sat on a rock in the rain for like a couple hours waiting for people to come back, uh, <laughs> wondering if I was going to die or not. Oh my God. So fuck water. Uh, so I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a, a fan of going to a, an island in the middle of nowhere. Plus I don't like sunlight. I want a place dark, <laughs> you want dark a, and dry. A dark cave somewhere <laughs> in an island in the middle of nowhere. No with a bunch of Jamaicans. Nope. With fake accents. Nope. Put me, uh, put me in, De- in Detroit. <laughs> I like, with, uh, under the provision of Robocop. Just, yeah. All right. We'll make sure that, that happens when the do, zombie apocalypse hits. We'll just do, send you to, do to you, Detroit. Uh, do you think that zombies could handle Robocop? Uh, <laughs> No, no, I, I don't. I do not believe okay. that. Okay, well, I'll tell you right now. Let's make that movie. Okay, a, a robot, a, a ro- half robot, half human versus like zombies. The robot can't become a zombie regardless. He has a jetpack and a machine gun hand. All right, all right, since we're on he the wins. A vampire, say a vampire, like attacks a zombie, and like. You know, gets blood in his system or drinks his zombie's blood. Does the vampire become a zombie or does the zombie become a vampire? The I, I think it's uh, if if the vampire bite, if if a, if a vampire bites a zombie, yeah. that zombie becomes a zombie vampire. <laughs> if a zombie bites a vampire, that vampire becomes a vampire zombie. But he has the blood of the infected blood of the zombie in his system of biting him. Does he not himself become infected and become a zombie vampire? I'm only, vampire only, zombie. only if he swallows. <laughs> only if he wants to. He's like, I'm not feeling it today. I'll, I'll be a zombie next week. <laughs> <laughs> when it, man, how how ineffective of a zombie would you be if you couldn't go out in daylight? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, but you, you could turn to a bat, so now you're a flying bat zombie. <laughs> Well, that is, this needs to be a movie. I'm telling you, like, and it's nothing. You but not just only want like blood, swarms. but you also want brains now. So, like, is it your lust for blood or brains going to be greater? Oh my god! You know, swarm like, swarms of blood sucking 
brains. Uh, the the gentleman in the in the lab coat in um in this scene, uh, his character name is mustache. Is yeah, his mustache. <laughs> that's um that's Fisher. He's played by John Amplis. Does always have blood on it. Like everything he has is blood stained. Well, like, you don't have a pair of nice clothes that you wear every once in a while. I'm pretty sure it's probably hard to launder your clothes in the zombie apocalypse. Um, they're they're lucky for their clothes to be as clean as they are. <laughs> so we haven't bathed in eight years, but it's all good, dude. And it's a it's there's like one woman here. <laughs> women women traditionally, you know, I don't get a lot of shit for this, but traditionally are are the ones who do the laundry. I, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying men do not like to do laundry. I, I would rather be beat by a cat of nine tails than do laundry. <laughs> so, they're expecting her to do all the laundry for them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, their laundry is not going to be as uh, bright and... Uh, uh, Lustrous as it could be. Anyways, um, Fisher, um, he was in a in a few of Romero's movies. He was in Martin, Dawn of the Dead, Knight Riders. Uh, he was also uh, the corpse in Father's Day. All right, you know, uh, well, in Creepshow, the the segment, yeah, the the zombie that wants uh, my cake <laughs> for you to get credit as a corpse. That's that's good acting role right there. Well, I mean, that, to me, that's one of the, the more iconic zombies of all time. And it, it's funny that he's in Day of the Dead, one of the most iconic zombie movies of all time. But he plays an iconic zombie in another movie, which mm. just happens to be directed by George Romero. How do you feel about Creepshow? Have you ever seen Creepshow? I've seen some of them. Like, some of the parts of them. Like, God, creep, creep like show anthology is, types. Creepshow yeah. is perfect. I was always like a uh, Tales from the Crypt kind of... That's what I, Well, it's funny you mention that because... Like, Creepshow was supposed to be a Tales from the Crypt movie. Yeah. And they couldn't get Everything. the licensing to call it Tales from the Crypt. Now, later on, Romero did um, Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show, and it was supposed to be a Creepshow TV show, but they couldn't secure the rights to the name Creepshow. <laughs> so this is this fucking domino effect of, like, shit is not working out for us. Uh, we have our character of Bub, um, which arguably is... The most recognizable on screen zombie of all time. He's played by Shower, uh, Sherman, I can't talk. Sherman Howard. And, uh, he's got a, such a sympathetic face. I think if this had been cast differently, I, I don't think this would nearly have the impact that it does. I oh. found my, I found myself watching this the other day, um, like enamored with his performance because it's it's strange to find like the the character that exuberant uh, exuberance that's not the word I'm looking for what's the word I'm looking for exhibits yeah, that exhibits the most humanity by definition is not human he's just trying to teach these zombies how to read like that's well, <laughs> by the way, he's reading a copy of Salem's Lot. That's a little in-joke because George Romero and Stephen King were, were friends and they collaborated on Creepshow. But, but I, I, I think that in science fiction, especially, more so than horror, there are these these great parallels that we draw with characters that are inhuman mm. when they 
exceed their programming or like data in Star Trek The Next yeah. Generation, my all time favorite show. Data, his pursuit of existence is to become more human. It's something he can never achieve. Yet he tries. He tries, and it's that pursuit of humanity that, that makes him in in some regards more human. Than everybody than else. humanity trying to be but, human, like humans don't try to be human. Well, yeah, and and because our human nature sometimes is is to be cold and distant, mm-hmm. and Bub is sort of reflective of that. Like he's so sympathetic, and it's these simple things of him recognizing a book, or, or later on when he he gets the uh, the music, you know, and it's these little moments. And Romero was a genius at giving these traits to, to characters who, I mean, like, I guess on paper, you, you, we've used it, view this as humans, as like the zombies are, are the enemy, but they're, really in this movie, they're not. Uh, Rhodes is very clearly painted as the, as the enemy. So, uh, there's a thing, EC Comics are like a, like an anti-hero type compared to In a sense, yeah. EC Comics, uh, which did Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and all that, mm. they they coined this uh, phrase called "just desserts," and <laughs> uh, being that like sort of like it's the comic book equivalent of karma. What goes around comes around. Mm-hmm. Everybody who does something bad is going to get their quote unquote just desserts. Bub, who right here recognizes, as we're seeing it right here, literally on the screen, uh, he's recognizing that Rhodes is a military man. Mm-hmm. So he's saluting him. Rhodes will not salute him back. So Bub takes this as a sign of disrespect. Disrespect. <laughs> disrespect. Yeah. Because, as you would find out, there's actually a comic book adaptation, uh, a prequel of Day of the Dead, and you find out that Bub was a, a military man. So, I mean, there's there's a this sort of, this like lingering memory of, Hey, I served. Mm-hmm. I'm showing you respect. And because Rhodes will not do the same to him, uh, it's he set up. This is sort of like check right. this is Chekhov's gun. They're introducing something right now that's gonna pay off later. So Rhodes is gonna get his just reser- just desserts. He just, he's decided that because he okay, he he picked his bitch. He picked his bitch. <laughs> he said he <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would have phrased it that way. So that's that, my bitch, like. That's, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Oh, here, oh. he's, he pulls the gun on him because he's like, "You didn't fucking salute me, a hole." That's all he wanted. Well, but, but if you look at it, like he's just I've never wanted, seen a zombie hold a gun before. <laughs> he he just wanted to be acknowledged as his existence acknowledged, mm-hmm. but. Rhodes doesn't view him as anything as an other than he, yeah. He doesn't view him oh, as as, uh, as as human. Is human, and that's where the question the questions like I said before they're not clear cut answers. But to to ask the question like if this zombie bub can it go beyond his primal nature? Mm. Is it morally justified to eradicate an entire species of something. If they could be relearned how to how to how to be human. Well why would you kill them all? But but at the same time 
are we asking them to go against their very nature to accomplish this? There's just so many interesting questions that are arisen in this movie. Yeah. And it's not done in such a ham-fisted way. That's sort of so my... this isn't one of the, the gory, like, let's just go out and, and murder. This is more of a... Let's see what kind of... This oh, is more well, of the science the, aspect of, of, the, of zombies. The third the like, third act of this them. movie is going to get well, it, beyond saying, bloody... Normally, it's, the whole movie's like that with a zombie movie. Now, this is more of a, let's kind of, like, break it down and see what... So it makes them tick. Uh, speaking of which, there, there are 36 kills in this movie. All right. Um, averaged out, that's 1.36 kills per minute. That's that's almost a half a half a dead body a minute. Just just think about that. Which, if you average that out, it makes it to to a kill, two kills. Da, da, da. I don't know. I'm not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> that's beside the point. Okay, I'm just, but my I'm, side note: Why does why do all these guys look Cuban? Like it's because they're like in Florida. Like, I don't understand. Like. Do they all look cute? Oh, I thought the one guy was Dom DeLuise for a minute. <laughs> You'll know. Would that make this movie more enjoyable? Yes. Hey, hey, it's Dom DeLuise. I'd be good with it. And um, fucking like, Bandit uh, shows up. So sick. Uh, shit, no, not Bandit. Uh, what was his name in uh, Cannonball Run? Oh, I don't know. Oh, fuck. I, I'm talking about Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. Just say Burt Reynolds. That's Burt Reynolds. In every movie. Oh. Rest in peace, Mr. Reynolds. Oh, there's he. Uh, he got his, his throat ripped out. Well, um, we have a human. another one of our uh, our principal characters. His name is Rickles. Uh, I wrote the note that like he looks like Steel, but he isn't. <laughs> there we go again. <laughs> he looks like Tom Savini, but he's not. He looks like Rickles, but he's not. He's um, still a ninja star. Now this guy. I just realized something. I think earlier when I was talking about Steel, I said he was in the movie Steel. And no, he's not. Uh, he, his name is Steel. I just wrote down um, that uh, Steel, and I misread that. So I apologize. So uh, for all you who want to hate tweet me that like blah blah blah, Gary Howard Clark was not in the movie Steel. Well, fuck you. <laughs> he wasn't, but he wanted him to be. I got I got that wrong. Um, but Rickles, uh, he was in Tales from the Dark Side of the movie. Uh, he was also in The Babe. With uh, John Goodman, the the movie about Babe Ruth. Oh, pretty good, pretty good movie. I, you know, I'm I'm not a huge worst person to play Babe Ruth. And oh, he was uh, fucking dead on. I love John Goodman. John Goodman is great in anything. National Treasure, right there. (laughs) I'm not a big baseball fan, but I have a thing for baseball movies. There's just something (laughs) about the. Seriously, ever seen Sandlot? Well, I mean, everybody (laughs) likes the Sandlot. Have you have you ever seen Cobb? No, I'm Tommy Lee Jones about Ty Cobb. About Ty Cobb. That movie is terrific. Um, I, I highly recommend. If you just like good drama, um, it's actually a really funny movie too. If you like Tommy Lee Jones, it's you know you're gonna get a classic Tommy Lee Jones uh, performance out of that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Greg Nicotero. Greg Nicotero, who, as we said, had a small role as Johnson in this movie. Has become probably the most well-known uh, special effects artist. He's now in charge of the special effects for The Walking Dead. Yes, but when you look at like pound for pound, like he may be the most recognizable 
uh, special effects artist of all time. And when you look at like the history of great special effects artists, like from you know Dick Smith and um, Tom Savini, that's that's a pretty tall order. But like movie for movie, he's worked on so much. So, all right, get ready for it because this list is long. <clears throat> okay. All right. Well, let me sit down. All right. All right, all right, all right. Evil Dead 2, An Army of Darkness, Creepshow 2, Phantasm 2, Monkey Shines, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Bright Reanimator, Halloween 5, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, Lord of Illusions, uh, From Dusk Till Dawn, 1, 2, 3, uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, Spawn, uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, The Green Mile, Unbreakable, Mulholland Drive, directed by uh, fucking uh, David Lynch, great fucking movie. Uh, Vanilla Sky, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Amityville Horror, the remake, um, Sin City, Minority Report, Ghost of Mars, John Carpenter's Worst Movie, uh, Spy Kids 1 and 2, The Cell, House on Hunt Hill, the remake, Wishmaster, Scream 1 and 2, In the Mouth of Madness, one of John Carpenter's uh, least sucky movies from uh, from the latter part of his career, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Pulp Fiction, Ticks, Maniac Cop 3, People Under the Stairs, Misery, Tales from the Fucking Dark Side, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Land of the Dead, Drag Me to Hell, and the the Hills Have Eyes remake. Mother fuck! That's not even the tip of the iceberg of the shit he's worked on. That's just the genre things he's worked on. He works on non, everything. Non-horror. Like, everything mainstream can be, uh, which was, you know, Kurtzman, Howard Kurtzman, uh, or, uh, God, uh, it's Howard Berger. What is Kurtzman's first name? Nicotero. Anyway, anyways, uh, these three guys came together, and they all had their roots hmm. in these low-budget, uh, you know, Sam Raimi and George Romero movies, and they've built an empire of special effects. That's commendable in any regard, that you go from nothing to the A-list of special effects. I can't, I can't stress enough how incredible it is. And I've never, I've never had the chance to meet Dragon Gatero, but by all accounts, he's really down to earth and nice. I was like literally as close as I am to you as Greg, to Greg Gatero. Really? I was at a comedy, fe- I met Norman Reedus. I was at a comedy festi- festival in Georgia. Me and Jennifer went to a, com- a comedy festival. I go to get these little hamburgers. I enjoy little hamburgers, that's why. Sliders. Sliders. So I, I go to get these sliders and I'm walking back. And, I, and I'm, I'm walking, I look in front of me and there's these two guys with really long hair. And I'm like, dude, this guy looks just like Norman Reedus, who plays Daryl in The Walking Days and The Boondock Saints. Yeah, fuck Norman Reedus. His face bothers me. <laughs> and, uh, Continue. Coolest dude. Coolest fucking celebrity I've ever met, Norman Reedus. Oh, I'm sure he's cool. I'm just and shitting. I, and I, I'll walk up, and I'm like, I kind of, I walk up next to him. Greg and Nicotero's there talking to somebody, and I look at Norman, I go, dude, you're Norman Reedus. And he's like, yeah, man. And I was like, it's like dude, I just want to shake your hand. He's holding a beer, so he, he puts his beer in his other hand, he wipes his hand off, and he shakes my hand, and I'm like... That's cool. He's like, hey, let's go see some comedy. And he pats me on the shoulder. Coolest fucking celebrity I've ever met. Um, when you shook his hand, did you give him the Mega Powers handshake? No, I shook his hand and like it was firm, but like loving. It was like, it was a nice handshake. <laughs> what did he like? Did he use his middle finger and kind of tickle your palm? It was, it was like, like, what do you the, mean it was loving? like Teenage Mutant like, yeah, like totally radical, you know, like you split your, no, but it was, it was, it was a firm. <laughs> I love, I love that you're showing me the gesture as if know, the people, yeah, people listening can see, can, can see it. But, Greg Nicotero looked over at me and he was in a conversation. I didn't say, "Oh, did you do Greg?" You know, I didn't. I didn't like jump over because again, I wasn't really. In, I'm not really the the biggest. I don't really care. Like, 
If I hadn't have seen The Walking Dead, Listen, I would have known I, what I, he looked like. I hate the character of Daryl, but well, Norman but Norman Reedus is cool in my book. I was I've, I've heard he's like really before. cool to his fans, and like somebody like sent him a dog, and he kept it. And bunch of <laughs> but coolest I've ever met, Norman Reedus, hands down. Sit, Somebody him sent a, him a dog. Send him a dog. It. Yeah, they kept it. But yeah, no joke. I've met. Wow. I've met Norman Reedus. Okay. All right, that's but yeah, dude, strange. Didn't but... have to pay for it either. Which is usually, <laughs> usually, yeah, he's paid to meet celebrities, but cool dude. Oh, I, I misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were saying, like, he didn't have to pay to keep that dog. And I'm no, like, what no, the fuck has no, that got to, to do with anything? You go to a, like a con or something, you have to, you know, usually you have to pay to, to go up and get an autograph or talk to him and the bigger ones like that. That's but, cool. You have a weird tendency of meeting celebrities. Well, I was, it was a, like, it's, Aziz Ansari was at the. It was. It was just. It was Aziz Ansari. Like that was his comedy fest. It was really odd, but it, it's good. Good. good I mean, but yeah, but I'm saying like you. You have a tendency of meeting people. You met yeah, Andy yeah. Milanakis just Andy out Milan- of the middle. I met Andy Milanakis. Yeah, I met the. Uh, I met Flyleaf one time. Who the fuck is that? They're a band that you don't know of. I have no clue. Who they that have is. a song called "Brandon Doesn't Know Us." <laughs> you okay, know if they okay. didn't. I met uh, Dave from Storage Wars. <laughs> yep, that guy. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah, no, I'm not even he's joking about this. He's at the chili cook-off, and I was like, dude, you're Dave. And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> he, just, he did not give me the time of day. Um, Yeah, that <laughs> guy. It's, fuck that guy. These are people I've met like outside of in, in the real world. Like, it, like, I didn't pay to see these people. Like, Oh, I would hope you wouldn't pay to see the guy from no, Storage I Wars. I, if I didn't, like, oh, dude, this guy from Storage Wars. Nobody believes me either, because like, I would just like, I would joke, dude, like, dude Bill Cosby's out here. Back to Bill Cosby, I know. Oh. There's a guy I used to work with in the kitchen, and I would always be like, dude, Alfonso Rivera's outside, and he'd freak no, out. No, no, no. He would run no, out, and I did no, it to you, too. No. All right, all right. <laughs> Judd knows. Judd knows. <laughs> He's a Silver Spoon fan. No. Judd knows how big a Ghostbusters fan I am. But I don't think he realized that Alfonso Ribeira was in Extreme Ghostbusters. So we're at work, and he radios up to me. He's like, dude, Alfonso Ribeira's down here. And I got really fucking excited. like, oh, shit, man. He rushes I was, down, yeah. I, yeah, and I should have known everything that comes out of your mouth is fucking bullshit lies. You lie to me on a consistent basis. I didn't know you would, like, just stop everything. Okay, it's come down there. Like. A few a few years prior to this, um, where where I work, you know, full time year round haunted house. Next to us, there is a car museum, like famous cars. They have the Echo One, they have the Batmobile, and fucking David Bowie and his wife go in there. Well, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. Yeah. I could not get down there. Scott, fat fuck Scott, saw him go in, saw him go out. That's one of my greatest regrets in life. It's like, I did there. not get to meet David Bowie, and now he's dead. And unless the fucking dead rise from the grave... We touched on this last episode. <laughs> we come back from the... We could have a, a Ouija board. What would he say? Oh. But, damn. That's... Damn, damn, damn. All right. Um, at the top of this episode... Uh, you, we were lucky enough to have the participation from a gentleman who's actually in this movie. Now, pinpointing where he's at is just about impossible because mm. he he's a zombie, Mr. Jim O'Rear. Thank you, Jim. We we're big fans of yours. Uh, I've met Jim so many times at conventions. Uh, he used to live in Nashville. I think he actually lives in Florida now. Uh, I always posted on Facebook, you know, pictures of Disney and stuff. That's beside the point. But uh, I want to give the rundown on this guy's accomplishments. 
uh, you know, on paper, this guy has lived a hundred lifetimes of, uh, of awesomeness and where he hasn't maybe got like a lot of mainstream acting roles. He has participated in a lot of awesome things. Uh, I'm going to go down his directing history because some, f- uh, friends of ours, uh, with ties, uh, to this podcast actually have, uh, worked with him. Uh, first and foremost, uh, he directed a movie called The Deepening, which had Gunnar Hansen, uh, it was a Leatherface in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I actually attended the premiere of this movie. It was in Murfreesboro. And, uh, all I can say is I see Jim O'Rear's ass in this movie. And, uh, that was not desired or wanted in any regard. So, Jim, uh, keep your pants on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the movie I want to talk about uh, that, he, that he directed is a movie called Fat Chance. Now, if you look for it under the name Fat Chance, you're probably not going to find it. However, if you have the stru- uh, streaming app Tubi, you can find it under the name Camp Massacre. Camp Massacre, a good friend of mine and a friend of the podcast, Matt Scott of Von Grimm Productions, he actually worked on the... Uh, special effects for this movie. Mm. Fat Chance, uh, the gimmick is that it's sort of like Friday the 13th, but instead of like it being a camp, like a regular camp, it's a, it's a fat camp. So it's like, it's heavy, it's, it's like <laughs> heavyweights, but, but with a slasher. Alright. Um, do you know who Brie Olsen is? Uh, I think so. Brie Olsen, um, was the porn star that Charlie Sheen had oh, a thing okay. with. Okay, He's the one that called she. He yeah, called yeah, goddess yeah. right before he got the the AIDS. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, Brie Olson is in this movie, and she's a staunch vegetarian. Well, oh. Matt of Von Grimm Productions, uh, check them out on social media. Uh, one of the scenes, she's taking a very sensual shower for no reason, um, and she gets inviscerated. So they, it was Matt's job to like hurl like. Actual <laughs> actual cow innards at her. Ugh. And, of course, because she's a vegetarian, she got sick and threw up. And they're staying in a hotel together, and they're kind of out in, like, the the common area. And she just looked at him and was like, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that I thought that was a really cool story. There goes his chance to be close to Charlie Sheen. Like, that's the closest uh, he'd ever be. Yeah. I would much rather be close to her than Charlie Sheen. And that's not because of his diseases or anything. She's uh she's a very attractive uh, lady. I I I lady in no way night. I in no way could please her with the equipment that I have that she's accustomed to, but I would very much like to try. Uh Al Snow, the professional wrestler, uh, he's yeah. he's in that movie. He's really fucking funny. Um if if you have the time to spare uh track this movie down. Uh I I think uh it, it could be benefited from a little editing. It's like 2 hours a little over two hours long. I think it could be probably edited down to an hour and a half and not lose you know, any, any <laughs> of the of the, of the content that's uh, really important to it. But I just wanted to give a shout out because that you know let's, let's support these independent uh, independent films. What Jim O'Rear is probably not, I guess, most known for, but uh, his. It, most extensive uh, work in Hollywood was doing stunts. He did a uh, cocoon uh, with Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Diabetes. Diabetes. Um, he did Invasion USA with Chuck fucking Norris. Mm. So there's your, there's your another connection that both Tom Savini and um, 
uh, Jim O'Rear worked on the same movie. I saw a website called Facial Hair, and it's like they connect actors and <laughs> some actresses by their facial hair. I don't really know what that has to do with this right now, but they sure. They both have facial hair. They both, both have Boom, facial hair. Boom, there you go. There's the All website. Right. All right. Jim, keep that facial hair. We want you to uh, be front center for this stuff. Keep taking your ass out in every movie Brandon sees for this website. <laughs> um, uh, he was in Cyborg with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. No, re- no Retreat, No Surrender, Part 3. Um, no Retreat, No Surrender, Part 1 is one of the most hilariously ridiculous movies ever. Mm-hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually in that movie. Um, but it's about this guy who it, he's he he learns to become a kickboxer, but he's trained by the ghost of fucking Bruce Lee. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's got one of the most hilarious... Um, is it supposed to be funny? I don't. You know, I don't. I don't really know. I this. They had to know this movie was going to come off funny, but there's there's a scene where they're doing. It's like a montage and they're cleaning up a uh, scene. That's some of the funniest shit I've ever seen. So track down. No retreat. No surrender. The first one. I haven't seen part three, but Jim is in it. Okay. Um, he was in Psycho Four: The Beginning with uh, the great Anthony Perkins. Uh, uh, for a Made for television movie. Well, it wasn't made for television. It was made for Showtime. Showtime mm-hmm. is a little above that. Um, really good sequel. Those all those Psycho sequels are actually surprisingly good. Uh, he's in the Swamp Thing TV show. He was in Lethal Weapon Three, Cop and a Half with uh, Burt Reynolds. He did some episodes of Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan. It always comes back to the Hulkster. To the Hulkster. And he also did some stuff for Mortal Kombat Conquest, the TV show. Um, I watched that TV show a lot because it used to come on after WCW Nitro on TNT when I was in my formative years. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. You're meshable. But oh. yeah, he, uh, he did stunts, some stunts for those movies. And, uh, he also acted in quite a few things. He acted in Thunder and Paradise. He plays like a bum on the, uh, on the beach. He was in Vampire Wars with Robert England. So there's your Freddy Krueger connection. Uh, Blueberry, uh, I can't talk. Blue Valley Songbird with Dolly Parton. So he's got some local ties, which is pretty cool. Hellophone, which is a movie I actually know. Uh, I don't know them like close relations, but I've I've met these guys several times at conventions. Um, uh, did Hellophone? So that movie, it's sort of like it's the similar premise to Nine Seven Six Evil, but yeah. I think the title is funny, so that's why I included it. But he was also in Thong Girl 3 and 4. Is that an adult film? No. No? That's no, it's, okay. about, it's a, a woman that wears a thong. and It's kind of like, you remember... 3 stri- and 4? Remember, yeah, th- <laughs> part 3 and 4. Um, you remember, um, do you remember Stripperella? Uh, oh, yeah, I know you're talking about it. Yeah. It's kind of like Stripperella. Uh, Jim, Jim has won some awards. Uh, he won Best Actor at the B-Movie Awards in 2011 for um, a movie called Dead Matter. He won Best Supporting Actor in a feature film in 2016 for, i got to get this title just right, Paranormalis, like Paranormalis. Mm. It's, it's hard to pronounce. Paranormal and Malice, put those words together and that's Paranormalis. what it is. Paranormalis. 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 <laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to do a couple more uh, little uh, trivia things and then we're going to get to our questions, which we have... Quite a few, and just as always, they get pretty fucking off the rails. These 
All right. This movie was uh, produced by Richard Rubenstein. Richard Rubenstein was a longtime collaborator with Romero. Um, he he's done a lot of a lot of big, you know, big movies. But he he also produced Pet Cemetery, San, uh, The Stand, Fenner. Uh, so he he kind of kind of rode the line in between Romero and Stephen King during that time when they were they were both sort of at the the height of their powers. He also had small acting roles in Creepshow, uh, Night Night Riders, and Martin. I know I've mentioned Night Riders a couple of times. You ever heard of Night Riders? Not not the TV show Night no, Riders. Rider, no. Night Riders is a medieval jousting movie about motorcycle riders. Like they what? they 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 joust each other with motorcycles. With motorcycles, but they're dressed like knights. Th- Ed Harris. It's I'm one not, of Ed Harris's first movies. I'm not gonna say it's stupid, but. What? Exactly. <laughs> it sounds, it it's sounds so stupid, but you'll watch it and be like, eh, that was actually pretty good. It, it, it's got kind of a Mad Max kind of feel to it, but it, it I don't know. But it, it's, it's not Mad Max. No, no, it's it's not of that quality. <laughs> I'm going to give it a shot because it's got Ed Harris in it. But Dude, I fucking I didn't love have Ed, Ed Harris. Harris. I was done. Okay, going back to Creepshow, which is, it's not talking about Romero, it's always going to go back to Creepshow. Ed Harris has a role in that Father's Day segment. Mm-hmm. And I invite everybody, go right now, go to YouTube, type in Ed Harris Creep Show Dance Scene. And shout out once again to Matt Scott of uh, Von Grimm Productions. Do you remember when uh, Maroon 5 had that Moves Like Jagger song out? Yeah. That fucking terrible song? Well, it became a running joke with with Matt instead of moves like Jaggers, like I got the moves like Ed Harris, got the moves like Ed Harris, got the moves. So every time I see this movie now, that that is ingrained in me. So I I can't help but like laugh. It's Ed Harris is Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Fever, dude. His dancing is on. It's on fleek. Is that what the kids say? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, you're you're younger than I'm me. Getting, I I'm getting older than at the point where that I'm not with what's not what's what's fresh. <laughs> you know, like pH fresh. Wait, no, that's that's an old saying, isn't it? For uh, fresh. The the zombie extras in this movie, and I actually uh, confirmed this with Jim uh, because in the past, you know. And and trust me, it's a mistake we're going to make continually because when you're doing research for things, uh, there's so much information out there that some of it is bound to be either wholly created, made up, or the details are misconstrued. But I, I, I try and make an effort to make sure everything I say on here is, is accurate. Authentic. Authentic. Authentication. Um, but he confirmed this, so this is 100% true. The extras on this movie were paid $1. <coughs> they received a hat that read, I was a zombie in Day of the Dead, and they were fed. <laughs> you have to look at it in terms of the people of that area. Wanting to be. They wanted to be in this movie. So, of course, this being a low-budget film, they're going to take advantage of the opportunity to use the masses that just are, you know, they want to do it to do it. I, I'm going to actually get in touch, um, with, with Jim after this. I should have asked him this beforehand. I want to see if he actually still has that hat. 
If he does, we'll see if he can uh, get us a picture of it. We'll put it on. We'll put it on Twitter, which you can follow us at Rants Black Lodge. All right, that pretty much uh, takes care of uh, everything I've got to say about this movie. Um, but we have a lot of questions that are going to throw this whole situation off the rails, and hopefully we'll be able to get to all of them because we're coming pretty close to the end of this film. First question comes from Fat Tony. What's your take on the improving makeup effects as the series went on? You want to tackle that, Judd? Series effects of, of this? Yeah, the makeup of the effects. the Dead franchise? I mean, it, it obviously got better as technology got better and as, as more modern times approached us. I mean, compared to 1968 to, you know, 1985, of course it's going to be a lot better makeup and, and effects and stuff like that. Do uh, do you think that makes the movie better? Like, yeah. Uh, it makes the movie better to a point that you don't get too technical with it. If everything's CGI, then it loses its... its well, obviously, everything done in this well, movie is, 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 is practical real, effects. But at, like, and nowadays, if, if, if everything is CGI, then you just lose that, that effect of, of realism, and, and it goes with it. To me, like, horror movies, especially ones that are effects heavy it's like it's like a joke you have the setup and then you have the punchline well if you if you don't have the gore and the effects to yeah. complement the setup the joke falls flat mm-hmm. so when i've taken everything into consideration about you know the 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 height of the the effects in this movie mixed with story and all the things we've we've covered during the course of talking about this i i i before watching it, I, I probably would have said Dawn of the Dead was my favorite. Excuse me, I've got the hiccups. Um, but now I'm going to make an about face. I, I think this is the best of the bunch. And uh, I think Romero uh, would agree with me. He said it on many occasions. This was his uh, favorite of the, of the Dead films. All right, next question. This comes from Aaron Brady. If Day of the Dead had been better received critically and had made more at the box office, would there have been a sequel earlier than Day of the Dead? I'm going to handle this one. Uh, Romero, at one point, had wanted to do Twilight of the Dead. And unfortunately, because of the situation they they found themselves in uh, financially with this movie not making as much money, it prevented that from happening. Now, they eventually did make Land of the Dead. That was a studio movie, and the studio's fingerprints are all over it. I don't dislike Land of the Dead, because um, it, it does carry many of the, the same ideas. You have the character of Big Daddy, who is sort of like the, the succession of the character of Bub, who leads a zombie revolt on you know this corrupt society. And who doesn't fucking love Dennis Hopper? I know we, I mentioned Dennis Hopper almost every time we do the podcast. But Rest in peace. But yes, rest in peace. But he's he's so good in it. Oh, I'm sorry. There's, this is the only scene I've ever seen. One, a nipple be bitten off, and two, a clown zombie. I think it's actually maybe maybe the first time there was ever a clown zombie on film. If I'm incorrect in that, please uh, cite your. I saw one in Zombieland, but other than that, this is the only clown <laughs> zombie I've ever seen. I fucking hate clowns, but it's nice. It's nice to, and that's that's a. Uh, George Romero's gallows humor because <laughs> even though like these are horror movies, yeah. he always would interject little little moments of levity because um, he just he, he liked to break Golly. attention. Well, he's a big fan of the the EC comics, and they always had sort of a you know a little laugh 
uh, mixed in with the with the screams. All right. Um, so, Aaron, I hope that answered your question. Um, Eric Mason asked, aside from the original trilogy, what's your favorite of the later Romero zombie movies? Um, fuck. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's probably Land of the Dead, and that's not necessarily because it's it's a great film. Um, Diary, Diary of the Dead is well-intentioned, but it it's... It, I found footage movies were passe by that point, and it's too cinematic to be good and grounded in a believable sense, and it's too cheap looking to be a good cinematic movie. So it's kind of in that muddy area. Survival of the Dead, I have to say, like it was for a movie that kind of flew over the radar. Uh, Story wise, it's pretty good. I mean, it's kind of like a modern take on the Hatfields and the McCoys. Um, but as a zombie movie, it, it didn't really lend much uh, to the, the zeitgeist of zombie cinema. So I'll, I'll go with Land of the Dead. And I'm going to make this comment just because I've been sitting on this for, for a fucking while, and I don't know if we'll ever do Land of the Dead on here. Uh, John Leguizamo stars in that movie. Yep. You know what John Leguizamo... I can't talk. John Leguizamo is called when he becomes a zombie? Uh, John Leguizamo. Oh, <laughs> So stupid, right? <laughs> I thought this is a real thing. I, was, uh, I don't know. All right. Uh, this comes from Allison Hunt. Um, shout out to Allison. She's uh, one of our longtime listeners. In the modern political climate in, of this <coughs> film, or in this film, is it more relevant now than it was when it was released? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Are yeah, zombies? Mean, I, well, just, I mean, like the. The things I talked about before, the allegories you can make about. Uh, the you know, building the wall and uh, class distinction, and these are, these are all things that you know we're probably sick and tired of hearing blasted twenty four seven on the news. But elite elitism, yeah, I mean, but it's that's something that's actually really uh, torn apart in Land of the Dead. But there, it's it's very evident that Romero, whether it be knowingly or unknowingly, kind of stumbled onto these themes. As we see this great effect. Now, as his head gets ripped back, his vocal uh, scream is pitched higher. And that was basically a little joke when they were editing. Uh-huh. But I think that's a nice little touch. Because, I mean, if you're getting stretched, your vocal cords are going to stretch. And you're going to get that little... Yeah. Ah! Awesome. <laughs> awesome effect. Okay. Uh, Allison Hunt asks, once again, uh, Who, if any, from the cast of Day of the Dead should have had a bigger career in the movie business. Well, I kind of stated before, Lori Cardell, she, she's really good. I, I think she could have been... I I know a lot of B-movie actors, like when they, they kind of break through, they end up being on TV shows. I mean, that wouldn't have been a bad thing, because the 80s was the, the decade of the sitcom. But I think she was capable of way more than that. I, I would, I could have seen her in the same light as, you know, Sybil Shepherd and people like that. I think she could have had a, a decent a decent enough career. So it's the great what if. Great what if. Um, this isn't, uh, well, it is a question. And I'm not going to read this person's name. Um... I post a question when I, I do this periodically, not only in our group, but in other groups, just to get outside Opinions. questions and stuff. 
Um, and the, this the this question was so poorly phrased um, that it I could I could not help but read it on here. <clears throat> and I'm going to read it as it's written, not how it was intended. <laughs> okay. George Romeo was supposed directed Resident Evil. How come he didn't? Why? Well, person whose name I'm not going to name, uh, George Romero did write the a script for Resident Evil uh, that was very much based in the video game. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, uh, Universal decided they did not... I guess it was, was it Universal that released those? I think so. Um, they decided that they did not want to go that route. So that's how we ended up with Alice and a bunch of movies that have things about them. There's that clown again. Clown um, things about <laughs> Resident Evil, but don't really amount to n- nothing. But now we have uh, a full-on reboot coming, and it's supposed to be grounded a little more in that. I know that'll make a lot of video game players happy. Did you play Resident Evil? Uh, no, I never got into Resident Evil. I played James Bond, like the Golden Eye, when it came out in <laughs> 64, but other than that, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that has to do with uh, the other, but that Golden Eye was a great game. The first couple of Resident Evil games are, are classics, and going back and trying to play them now, the, the fucking controls are garbage, yeah. but man, the, those games were ter- terrific. So here you see still, he's, he's getting his, um, his, uh, just, just desserts. <laughs> okay. Um, another long time listener, Ben Hopkins. Is this, is the, of the dead movies, the best horror movie trilogy of all time? If not, what is? When I was thinking about this, the the only other great horror movie trilogy that came to mind is the Evil Dead trilogy. Um, and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to give it to that. I think the the Living Dead trilogy probably more important in terms of like filmmaking and just like cinema in general. But those Evil Dead movies, in addition to the fact that I have a attachment yeah. to the first movie being directed in my hometown, filmed in my hometown, but those are nearly perfect movies. They're just enjoyable, and part two and part three skew a little more on the comedy than they do on horror, but, I mean, what do you, what do you think, Judd? I mean, like, is, is the Night of the Living Dead trilogy the, the greatest horror trilogy of all time? I mean, being a trilogy, does it have to? I mean, it has to end with three. There can't be more in the series. Okay, well, uh, originally, uh, there's not a lot of just trilogies. Then originally, this was a trilogy, and then they released Land of the Dead. But then Romero sort of retroactively made Land of the Dead, Dire of the Dead, and uh, Survival of the Dead its own trilogy. So even though they exist in the same world, it's kind of like how like the the Star Wars trilogy is in yeah, there are three. I it's mean, yeah, zombie, zombies in its own thing. Yeah, this is this is I would say would be the best trilogy in the horror franchise. There's not a lot of them, but it just it just you pick and choose what you like. If you like zombies, then yeah. If not, if you don't like zombies, then you may not pick this as your greatest horror trilogy. It I mean, just depends it, on what you it's, like. For me, it's it's hard. It's really hard because there there are so many great uh, horror movies just in general, but. 
it's hard to find a trilogy where like all three movies are good, or really just uh, a series of horror movies where there are only three movies. And I guess yeah. maybe you make the point that this isn't even one of them. They they always do three, and then they'll reboot it, or they'll do a prequel, or it'll it'll be something. There's always a fourth movie when a trilogy happens. Ah, uh, Toy Story. Toy Story. <laughs> Toy Story. Where the fuck are they going Toy with Story that? Toy Story Twelve. I'm, I'm I'm interested to see. So Bub is uh he's he's uh. He's, uh, he's doing a murder. He's uh, chasing down Rhodes. Rhodes coming up when he finally does get ripped apart in one of the, the greatest kills in a movie ever. He does have this badass redemptive moment. Like, not so much in, like, he redeems himself as a human being, but he does get, like, the last laugh, and he yeah. tell, he declares the zombies to... Choke on them, as in his guts. Yeah. Well, this question comes from Honky Tonk Matt, a.k.a. Matt Scott of <laughs> of Von Grimm Productions. Did the zombies ever choke on it? <laughs> so what do you think? Can a zombie get choked? I don't think they have a gag reflex. How, so well, what, why do you, what do you base that on? I mean, a zombie can get shot, so obviously its normal functions don't, they're not there. Like pain as well. Most we we there, like. earlier we saw Bub, yeah, and he was salivating. Yeah, salivation right, is well. is to is to lubricate your throat for you know a multitude. So, of yeah, reasons. I guess they could they could choke. Yeah, if he skip it, they could salivate. Then yeah, I'd say I love this this first shot. That's that's great. And he gets shot. So I mean, there there's your just desserts. Wonderful, wonderful. And he <laughs> salutes, he salutes him. Yeah, <laughs> he got his. Bitch. That, that's the that's the ultimate. Well, fuck you, dude. But Rhodes has to get his last words in as he's going to say, "Just choke on him." Honestly, thought he's going to like look into the gun and go off or something. That'd be the end of Bub. Um, a sad turn of events. You're you're uh you're probably that's a great effect. That's so good. His legs. Here he comes. <laughs> That's so good. Um, this question comes from our good friend, legendary uh, international wrestling sensation, Mr. Danny Rainbows. Danny and Rainbows. Uh, Judd, um, uh, you, you may be able to answer this question firsthand. What's the deal with Judd's mom? Like, where does the line start to get up in them guts? <laughs> what? That's my mother. That's the one who birthed me. Would you would you not be opposed of legendary wrestling superstar Danny Rainbows Look, if having relations with your mother? I, am I getting a little brother out of it? Sure. Then yes, I'm cool with it. Okay. Like, I'm a little, well, there you little go. brother rainbow. Alright, Danny. The uh, the line starts wherever you fucking want it to. <laughs> out of any of y'all, Danny Rainbows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Danny, when you hear this, DM, DM us on uh, on Twitter and uh, I'll give you uh, the hookup on that. He'll <laughs> <laughs> give me my mom's phone number. Yeah. Is that what you're like? Yeah. <laughs> Alright, this is, this is a serious question for um, for Danny. Uh, what are your 2019 New Year's resolutions? Do you have any, Judd? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna start working out. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get swole, and I'm gonna start doing movies. So you can beat the shit out of Danny Rainbow so or he fucks your mom. I don't know. He's he's the best. I don't know if I can, if I can actually beat him, but <laughs> I'm not gonna call him daddy. <laughs> not even if there's a fire. Not even if there's a fire. Um, my my 2019 resolutions are are pretty simple. I I want uh. 
by this time next year for us to have at least 2,000 members in the group. Five million. Five, yes, five, five million. Five million views. <laughs> That's a little unrealistic, but I think we can get to 2,000 people yeah. in the group. All right. This comes from Brent Fox. If zombies diets consist of only brains, what is the average IQ of a zombie bowel movement? Well, not to shit on your idea of shitting, uh, Brent, but as I've stated earlier in the podcast, if you were listening, uh, Return of the Living Dead is the one who popularized the idea of zombies eating brains, not the Living Dead trilogy, so your question is bullshit, much like you're inferring. What would you think is the IQ of a, of a, of a turd? I don't know what, what, is is that are you are you inferring that there are what chunks you, of brain in their shit? Do zombies shit? I guess it depends on what you can compare. Like a brain, like what's the IQ of a turd? <laughs> what's, what's, dumb, what's dumber than a turd? Like what do you compare a turd to? <laughs> compared to a fly? I mean, a fly's genius, right? Like, oh my god! I, just, I, I would assume that shit just like it, it doesn't. It just slides out. Like, it just... Well, zombies, zombies are always have shit in their pants. Zombies have... Like, they have to shit because, I mean, if they're intaking food, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. I mean, is their body still processing it? They can sal- salivate. They can choke. Then I'd say, yeah. But I don't think they're going to go and, and drop a load just in a, in a bathroom somewhere. <laughs> like, all right, we got we got we got a few we got a couple more questions. We're gonna, uh, we're going to power through these, even though we're in our uh, closing credits of the movie. Um, this comes from Titty Flipping Travis, and here here we get really weird. Do zombies even really need dicks slash vaginas? Do they do they pee and poop? Well, we just covered that. They they have to poop, but do do they pee? Do zombies pee? If they poop, they pee. I mean, you got to. It, well, like I, mean, I said, they don't intentionally pee. It probably just like but I mean they're out. they're not taking in liquid. Oh no, they they have to. They take in blood. I guess. Well, I guess yeah, blood and there's I mean flesh is like you know so much percent water. So they, yeah, I guess they so they they, they have to pee. Why is why, why is this a, like all these cool ass questions we can get asked? And it's like the zombie shit. What's the IQ of a turd? Like I like, do well. <laughs> Well, troll's gonna troll, man. I'm, I'm thankful for the questions, but like, what well, the fuck? Well, t- Titty Flippin' Travis, uh, that's, this is his, his hallmark. His he, mom never called me back either. His mom never yeah, called I called me? his mom, she never. Oh. I talked to his mom last night. Yeah. I mean, not really, but like on, on a headset playing, uh, no, really playing did. on PlayStation. I really did talk. Does he live with his mom? Maybe. She's on his headset. It's got to be. She's got to be in the room. Well, no. I mean, like she was. Uh, she was in the background. Oh, that's beside the point. Oh, all right. Uh, this is the next question. If a female were to kidnap and tie up a zombie and she had sex with it, would she be able to become pregnant? Do zombies produce sperm and semen? I don't think so. I mean, if they're dead, I would assume that's dead too. Now, in the Dawn of the Dead remake, yeah. there is the woman who gets impregnated, and her baby is a mm. is a zombie. Now, admittedly, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I can't remember the circumstances of how that if she got bit and it affected the baby. But I don't think she fucked a zombie. No, no, I she mean, obviously, no, she obviously she obviously didn't. But I'm just saying, like. Uh, so there is precedent for zombie babies, but could a zombie impregnate a like a, like a non-zombie? Oh, yeah, woman? or or if a man had sex with a female zombie, could he fertilize her rotten zombie eggs? 
Uh, Our podcast is fucking if weird. She, <laughs> if she has eggs, I guess, yeah, but I don't know. Dude, I don't fucking know. Who'd be like, what would be like, fucking Blade from the Blade? Like, he's half vampire, half human, because, like, I don't understand. But it'd be like half zombie. Alright, we, we have a couple of other questions, but I'm gonna postpone those. They're not specific to Day of the Dead. I'm gonna save those for another, uh, another episode, probably, uh, for next month. Encino um, Man. Yes, for Encino <laughs> Man, uh, the long awaited uh, feature commentary. Uh, speaking of which, um, maybe by the time that this episode is out, uh, our bonus episode for Point Break will be available on the Facebook group, and you can find us on social media and uh, Facebook group, which I guess that's social media, at Rants Black Lodge. And of course, you can find us at our homepage at juicykruger.com. And on the multitude of platforms, our podcast is available uh, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Radio, Google Play Music, Player FM, and just about any place podcasts are available. Judd, thank you so much for filling in last minute. I think this went uh, smoother than a, uh, <laughs> a baby's bottom. It's always a pleasure. All right, we'll be back next month with another edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. See you next time, ladies and gentlemen.